Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Tom Salta for The Outlast Trials. It's the third game in the Outlast series, and yes, it's horror. Tom will talk more about the game in just a bit. Uh, I really love the main theme for this soundtrack and uh, how Tom is able to work it in in really creative ways throughout the score. And I thoroughly enjoyed the way he manipulates sound in order to absolutely scare the pants off of the listener. Super fun and super scary. And it's on vinyl. Laced Records has released this soundtrack on vinyl. So be sure to check that out because, oh my goodness, what a perfect soundtrack for a spooky situation that you might, you know, be scoring yourself in October sometime or some such, which we talk about too in this episode. Join us on Discord. That link is down in the show notes and please do subscribe to this YouTube channel. We would appreciate that. Here is Tom Salta talking about the Outlast Trials. So Outlast Trials is the third Outlast game in the series, and this one is very different from the previous two for many reasons. Um, One of them is the gameplay itself is completely different. So you are in a series of trials, but it's a multiplayer cooperative horror game, (laughs) which is awesome because, you know, So many people are scared of horror games, and there's always that brave friend, and then the rest are chickens. So it's kind of fun because you can go in with your brave friend and play cooperatively, and one person can hide under the bed, you know, and the other one's, come on, just go over there and hit the thing. So you're in it together. You don't have that that solo experience. Now, it can be played alone, um, but it can also be played with four players at the same time, which is phenomenal and awesome and brave of Red Barrels to attempt to do. Uh, but I think they really nailed it. Um, and also the music is um, very, very different from the previous games in the series. And, and that was an intentional decision from Red Barrels, which I'm sure we'll get into more detail about what it entails. Um, but it is something that kind of has its own cool, different sound. Yeah, And it yeah. is really, really scary. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cool little songs, like little ditties, like little ad, like they sound like ads, um, or commercials or something like that. Um, but, but, uh, what what I really enjoy is, is the main theme because you really, it's very different, right? But you, there's, there's melody in there, which in a horror game you may or may not get. And there are plenty of examples of fantastic avant-garde horror that has no melody at all. But it's it's fun that there's something to hang your hat on right away, and then you're able to bring it back throughout the whole soundtrack in various ways, uh, some of which I'll bring up again. But um, but yeah, I just like how it's so set apart from from the soundtrack. So talk a little bit just about that main theme and uh, how how that got going. Thank you for picking up on that. That main theme was very important to me and, of course, to Red Barrels. And, you know, given my love of scary stuff throughout my entire life, (laughs) having an opportunity to score a proper horror game like this was a bucket list item. And I wanted the main theme to check off a few very important boxes for me. 
Um, one of them, of course, it just had to sound scary. <laughs> check. But it check. also, check. Uh, <laughs> but it also needed to be simple and melodic. Yeah. So it, it instantly would have this memorable quality. And third, yep. I wanted it to be easy enough to play on a piano. <laughs> and yeah. as you as you pointed out, there's not a lot of precedence for all those things combined. Because yeah. a lot of horror movies, films, games, whatever, especially contemporary ones, aren't really about the melody. And, and I understand. It makes complete sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and some of those that do have memorable melodies, and particularly some that are easy to play, you know, harken back to the John Carpenter stuff, like Halloween. Yeah, Halloween, you know? exactly, yeah. And, and it has, look, I love it, right? It's timeless. Yeah. You always hear that every time. Ding, 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 ding. But you know what? It does have a a date stamp on it. Yeah. You can feel the 80s coming through. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I love the 80s. I yeah. have an 80s podcast. Yes, you so do. it's not about that. Yeah. But it's about the fact that how do we do something that sounds scary and is memorable with a memorable melody is easy to play. Yeah. And uh, th that does check off those things. And also the theme, as I like to do, um, with a lot of my themes is it takes you through a journey. Yeah. It has several different movements or sections mm -hmm. to it. You know, yeah, definitely it starts, a form. Mm -hmm. right. It starts with introducing the motif. was really the first thing that came to mind quite easily, surprisingly, because I'm not one of those composers who sits there and all these brilliant ideas just drop from the sky. Um, but uh, that one just came pretty quickly when I sat down. Um, and it, it had a very special quality to it because it did somehow have that vintage you know, old-fashioned 1950 Bernard Herman maybe kind of vibe to it. It yeah. has a little off-putting kind of craziness to it. There's something not balanced. There's something not right. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of that is the rhythm, right? And then and then you're going down to the uh, major seven, right? Which is weird because it's, it's a minor-ish kind of creepy thing, and it's an unresolved. That's like such a weird note to hang out on, right? That seventh. It, it so, is. Yeah, it just had that right. It, it's kind of like the whole package. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And then then along with that, of course, the main melody, the the ding, bum, bum, da, da, da. Yeah. And, you know, that comes in nice. And it evolves throughout the piece. Even at the end, it returns. Um, but, you know, after that whole first movement, then it goes into an action section, which is like, ring, 
ding, and it stops, and all of a sudden, you know, all hell breaks loose, and now you're <laughs> running for your lives, and it's really, you know, puts you off balance. And it has all this multimeter stuff going on. and then it goes down into the doldrums again. And and it has this sense of just pure despair and hopelessness. And uh, that's one of the things that really, I mean, you are going into hell. You know, you're it, it's kind of like a squid game situation. You know, they throw a burlap bag over your head and pull you into this, this, this secret location underground during the Cold War in 1950s somewhere in Europe. And they drill goggles into your head. And they put you through all these horrible experiments and trials trying to remove any sense of morality that you have. Wow. So, you know, you're alone and you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So there's a sense of hopelessness. Yes. Um, and um, I wanted that to kind of come through in there, and it kind of evolves and departs on, on that kind of feeling, just with, a, of course, a little jump scare at the end for all of my scaredy-pants friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> What do you love about horror, Tom? What, what, it, I mean, yeah, what, what, what's your, what's the first horror experience you can remember? Like, I think horror fans know these things. Tell me about that. Yeah. So for me, actually, it really goes back before horror games. And, and dare I say, it even goes back before horror films. When I was okay. really young, like single digit young, yeah. um, I remember my dad taking me to some of these local haunted houses in Halloween. And I was terrified, <laughs> terrified, you know, standing on this big long line and, you know, seeing all these other people. I'm like, why do these people want to go into this? This Anyway, I was so terrified and um, something switched in me at a very young age. I became fascinated with why I was so scared. And I think what happened was I, I got this idea that if I were to become the monster or go behind the scenes, go behind the curtains and create my own haunted houses, which I started doing with blankets and chairs at home, I wouldn't be oh, wow. scared anymore. And so I yeah. kept doing that throughout high school. I started having these really intense haunted houses in my basement. I'd build mazes with hefty bags that I would cut open <laughs> and tape from the rafters to the floor. And you'd go through yeah. these mazes and I would have lights and smoke. And then I actually started setting up speakers behind the walls, creating some music, recording music on cassette tapes with loops yeah. 
from video <laughs> games, from films, stuff I made wow. up myself with synthesizers. And then that into my 20s, I was doing this. We hired actors. We had animatronics, <laughs> projectors. So for me, I always love the haunted stuff. I love scaring people. And wow. music is my language. Yeah. That's how I just love the fact that I can make some sound, something that you can hear that's invisible, that just goes to your ears and it can change your emotions. And so when mm -hmm. I can do it to make you scared in this in the game like uh, Outlast Trials, it really taps back into that early fascination with scary stuff. Yeah, I mean, there were times where I just burst out laughing and I was listening to it in the broad daylight, both listens. And I was like, there is no way I'm listening to this in the <laughs> I'm not playing this. Not, I am not built for it. Yeah, um, that sounds like my yeah. wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. she's like, not. oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Um, t t did you did you use pure samples or did you go around and gather sounds yourself that you then used? How did that work? All of the above. Okay, so, cool. Um, Talk about it. Yeah, certainly um, uh, I went through, you know, endless supplies of samples that I'd have. But yeah. more interestingly, I started – interestingly, there it is. <laughs> I started um, – recording some custom stuff. Um, so one of the first things I remember doing is I went on eBay and, okay. you know, one of the areas in the Outlast Trials is called the orphanage. So I'm like, oh man, I love this. You know, I'm thinking of the conjuring little dolls and, you know, little yes. toys and you know, all the fun stuff. Right, Emily? So, yes. uh, so I go out there and I find these 1950s pull toys. And actually, there's a YouTube video out there. If you type my name in Outlast Trials, you'll see like me smiling, holding this little dog that has a little xylophone with a pull string. And uh, I got this little thing, and I hooked it up, and I hooked it up. Yeah, I put it right in front of a microphone and started recording just the sound of the little ink, clink. Clink, clink, the little vibe, and the, the little rusty little wheels turning around and the squeaks. And, yep. and you know, I showed it to my kids, and they're like, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> they just get freaked. I don't know what it is with this generation. They get freaked out with all the happy little toys. <laughs> well, anyway, so, so I was playing around with that. And and then also um, another thing in 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 one of the areas uh, called the root canal, um, I had the crazy idea that since we're in something that looks like a giant mouth with blood and crazy rust dripping bacteria, it's just a miserable thing. You're pushing this mannequins, little kids in this boat to their death because they have a drill into this guy's head, and you know. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, it's called the root canal. Why don't I just start making sounds with my mouth and to kind of create the atmosphere? So I started recording, throwing a, lot, throwing a lot of processing and it really came out so much better than I expected. I mean, I was doing things just like with the vacuum sound, like the, but you throw that through processing in reverbs and distortions and pitch changers and man, it sounds horrific.
and even the dripping and it's really yes, disgusting. So if you go to the soundtrack and you listen to the track called The Root Canal, I think it's track 25, um, you'll hear yeah. it. You'll you'll hear that and it gets mixed in into the music. And another yeah. really cool anecdote talking about custom stuff is um, when I was doing the orphanage, I was doing a lot of research and as I like to do, and I discovered a little piece of history that most people don't even know about involving Thomas Edison. Oh no. Yes. Okay. Did you know that (laughs) I believe it was 1877 when he invented the phonograph, he also came up with the idea to put this miniature phonograph into little animated dolls, talking dolls. Okay. So you have this early, early uh, 19th century talking doll with a very poor recording. And um, the Ooh. the dolls did not sell well at all. Um, people didn't <laughs> like why. them. Yeah, I wonder why. I was scaring the bejesus out of everybody. But you have to Satanic. listen to these things. So they basically destroyed these things and okay. uh, discontinued, destroyed them. And um, there's, there is uh, speculation that the voice that they were using was one of the female factory workers. And when, when you hear it, it's really hard to understand. So they decided to actually have her saying nursery rhymes and like prayers and stuff. So when wow. you hear it, it's like, may the Lord my soul to keep. Uh, you know, and it goes through like sounds you know something out of Metallica song like Enter Sandman, <laughs> and so I started sampling this stuff. I found it on YouTube, and I and started making recordings, and I threw it through all kinds of crazy gra- granular synthesis and processing and distortions and reverbs, and I used some of these textures as sprinkles inside uh, the orphanage area as well, in the middle of all the rest of the horror stuff. So yeah. I, I can go on and on, but there, there was a lot of fun custom exploration when it came to sound. I think I heard dogs barking at one point, like some, or maybe like creaking gates or something. I mean, the the gates, the, that creaking sound could have been the little xylophone dog too, but. Yeah, maybe. And sometimes I did it. It depends on where it areas. I started doing things. Oh. And, you know, like, and actually pitching it up and, you know, yeah. and you blend that with the music. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that they allowed me to, you know, create some ambient sound design elements along with the music that would complement the in-game sound design. Um, And it just really just creates an atmosphere that you just don't want to be in. Right. Now, tell me about that because um, uh, I just a month or so ago talked to a composer who did both the music and sound for a horror game, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, you know that's an interesting concept in horror to be in control of all of that audio. So talk to me about working with whoever the person was who did the sound design 
to, you know, because so much of your music is very ambient and sound designy at times, right? Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, so that's tell right. me about that. Yeah, so Francis, uh, Francis Bruce at, at Red Perils, he's the audio director and so fun to work with. Nice. Um, we were able to just communicate and coordinate our efforts. So basically, anything that I could do to make his job easier, I would do. And anything that I could do to complement and and uh, enhance uh, the atmospheres in the game beyond what he would be doing would be very welcome. And so it worked out really, really well. And then, you know, he would at times say, oh, you know, hear that little jingling or that little clanking or that little hit sound, that that might get in the way, that might get confused with this sound that I'm doing. So just, you know, remove that. And that's okay. that's the way it would work. So I would create things and he'd give me guidelines, you know, to do stuff that would not get in the way because he would basically show me or tell me the kinds of sounds that would be there. So like, don't bother doing footsteppy things. Don't bother doing jangly things or whatever, because I, there's going to be this and that and this and that. So um, we did just coordinate that way and we just go back and forth. Cool. Cool. Uh, there's a track called The Weight of Memories, and I loved what you did with Heartbeat in here. Uh, it speeds up, right? through, And then the audio drops, and then there's one really slow heartbeat. And in the soundtrack, then it segues into the whatever. I can't remember the name of the track that comes right after it, but that's a jump scare too, which was fun. Uh, but um, talk to me about uh, The Weight of Memories. So The Weight of Memories is a... That actually is the tension proximity system. At work. Oh, okay. So, cool. So what you're hearing there is a, a simulation of what actually happens in game because that was okay. a multi-layered, I believe seven different layers that would start one by one. And the idea in the Outlast oh. Trials is that you cannot kill anything, right? You're always hiding and running and trying to just escape with your life. So... Lots of sneaking around and, and you have to hide. So, for example, when an enemy is approaching, right, you, the, the, the system, the game will tell you with this tension proximity. So the first thing you'll hear is this heartbeat and this low subfrequency kind of sound. And then, depending on a variety of parameters, like how close the enemy is, how aware the enemy is of your presence, the threat level, etc., it would increase the volume and bring in all these different layers. So the weight of memories is basically me going starting from the bottom and just slowly ramping up and up and up and up and up and up to the top. And then I just shut it off and, you know, <laughs> threw in an extra heartbeat at the end there. Just kind of like, that's it. Game over. That is never heard exactly that way in the game because it's different every time. And there are several different sets of those kind of tension proximity. In fact, there's more music in the game that's actually on the soundtrack that might be coming in the future. <laughs> uh, because I was working on this even the week before the, uh, the, the Halloween release. So wow, that's what that's all about. Okay, very cool. And yeah, this, there is a soundtrack out. Like, that's cool. Vinyl? Vinyl is, yeah. uh, yes, it is, uh, 
it is pre-order stuff now. I don't know if it started shipping, but man, it looks so cool. Laced Records did such an amazing job. They're really yeah. so good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, it's like if there's horror, there has to be carnival, right? You have to have some kind of like janky organ waltz or something. And it's just great. Oh, yes. So, and there are a couple different tracks, right? So there's Come to the Fair, which is wonderful. Let's start there. Talk about Come to the Fair. So Come to the Fair is the atmospheric music of the fun park. So when you enter this dilapidated set, the fun park, (laughs) the sarcasm in these titles, I love it. So yeah, the whole area, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun park from hell. It's this broken down, all this craziness. They have, you know, instead of throwing a ball at a target, you're throwing a heart at a, you know, like (laughs) literally you have to grab hearts out of a blood bucket and throw I mean it's just the stuff of nightmares so you're yeah. in this horrible fun park and mother gooseberries walking around you see her on the balcony and drilling into people's heads and you know it's it's really a place you don't want to be but there's a merry-go-round and there's midway games and then there's of course the root canal which is a ride inside the pump fun park kind of like and it's oh, okay. it's a small world from hell yeah <laughs> so that must be where brush your teeth happens then Ah, brush your teeth. So <laughs> imagine you're in this this ride that I described a little bit earlier where you this just the, instead of water, it's just blood and you have to push this little boat of these child mannequins to their death because they're bad. And okay. uh, while you're doing this, of course, you're being chased. So you have to have to stop it and hide and do all these things and open valves and let more blood so you can keep pushing the boat. Anyway, just horrible things. Um, <laughs> yeah. But inside this root canal, which you can hear, it's track number 25 called the root canal. Um, they have little, like, it's a small world-like animatronics. So they have these, like, okay. little scary-looking freaky teeth that kind of move around and these little teddy bears. So as soon as I saw, you know, that, that we're in like a little amusement park ride, I talked to Francis. I'm like, oh, you know we have to do a little song, like an It's a Small World thing, right? You know, so he was on board with that. And so uh, I wanted to come up with the most happy, you know, almost disturbingly happy little song that you couldn't get out of your head uh, that would juxtapose uh, up against this horrific atmosphere of this area. So you'd hear this song being coming out from the speakers that are located where these animatronics are. And it had this little, you know, mother, mother, gooseberry, she's your friend, good dental hygiene, whenever. You know, I'm a, I come from a songwriting background, jingle background. So anytime I get to sneak in a little catchy tune, uh, <laughs> and especially I love the juxtaposition, and, you know, I have a sixth sense of humor. So putting those two things together, it's just... So much fun, and it scares people, and I like it. So, so good.
So I uh, heard that you gave a presentation on this at Game Sound Con, which is seriously one of the best cons in the world. I love Game Sound Con, and every year that I'm not there, my heart breaks a little. But uh, I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that, if you would. Sure, of course. So, yeah, in, in that uh, talk, I wanted to break down the music of the Outlast Trials into, you know, categories. Okay. And I'm talking about the main theme, and I showed actually footage of the live orchestra recording the main theme, and I showed how cool. um, during the recording session, a lot of the techniques that we wanted to have uh, we're not going to be straight, perfect notes. We wanted a lot of things that would drift out of tune and 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 bendy notes and stuff. So it was really a fun session. I was laughing during the recording session. It was a remote session. And, you know, when you have these amazing musicians in a room and then you ask them to kind of like play out of tune, it, it's I find it very amusing because <laughs> you can kind of see the pain on their face. Like I trained my whole life right. and I'm playing like a third grader, you know? Um, so that was fun. So I showed a, some footage of that, um, you know, and uh, I showed some footage of how some of the sound effecty bendy notes looks on on paper. And uh, then we got into showing the systems with flowcharts, like the ambient music. And I'd show how you know that you'd have uh, in each area there would be one of two different ambient tracks that could be triggered randomly with with silences in between. And we'd have these little one shots that could happen every fifteen to twenty seconds, randomly triggered, and it would you know add this sense of. Um, just constant, fresh, uh, non-repetitiveness uh, uh, to the whole experience. I, of course, I showed footage uh, and pictures of the Thomas Edison dolls. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you can kind of see what it sounds like. Why does she sound like she has a gun to her head? She sounds like she's exactly. Like now you know terrified. why these things got destroyed, right? Even even <laughs> Thomas Edison himself, after they were discontinued, he referred to them as little monsters. Okay, so I showed <laughs> it's that a terrible people, idea. I was amazed that no one ever heard of the Thomas Edison doll. So I'm so glad to bring this awareness to everyone. Uh, yeah. I showed I showed footage from the game and showed how the tension proximity system would work. Um, I showed the different uh, the way the chase system works and and the way the. Um, different narrative music when you're doing certain tasks, the be layered music, and this layer could come in when you're doing it, and when you're hiding, it comes away. And uh, mm. you know, I showed the scoring of some of the scripted events, and and uh, the diegetic music, and the recordings of that, and I even showed my wife and I singing, you know, with this cheesy grin on our face, the brush your teeth song, and uh, so <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. I, I think people really enjoyed it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, what a great con. It was big. A lot of people there this year, right? Record-breaking. Wow. I'm so glad to hear that. I love it. I love that. Uh, yeah. Um, well, let's get back to the the music um, it, itself. And, you know, I'm starting to understand more how the game is structured, which is important. Um, tell me about the the little blues 
quote unquote called "Can't Get It Out of Your Head," uh, which is very <laughs> aptly named. Yeah, no, I, I I left this to Red Barrels to come up with the names because, it, and they, you know, they have a sicker <laughs> sense of humor than I do. Um, so, yeah, that was just one of the um, several different diegetic pieces. So when you walk into this um, chapel area, basically. Um, diegetic meaning you hear diegetic, it coming from yeah. somewhere so was, in the game. That's yeah. right. It was coming from an object in the game. So that yeah. was coming from a jukebox. You know, every area, you know, one of the conversations we'd have is, okay, okay, we're going to do all this music and stuff, but do we have any diegetic options here? You know, because I'd always love that. That just gives yeah, me yeah. a chance to, you know, juxtapose stuff that just, like, clashes with, yeah. it has an opposite mood. And when you combine those, it just creates this other vibe. You know, even even Bioshock. I mean, my goodness, remember? I mean, the, oh, the, the yeah. way they use the licensed music in the game from the thing. It was that's great. I love it when you take like old fashioned yes. things and then you put it with a a modern score and you put it together. It, that's just fun. It's great. It's great. Um, some of these other tracks that are you know far more ambient before Hell Breaks Loose, right? Um, uh, where do you tend to start with a track like that? That you know, really is maybe kind of rhythmless in a way or timeless in a way. How, how, what's the first thing that you tend to establish when you're uh, constructing a track like that? I'll start with, I mean, I love sound exploration. I kind of, sometimes if you see me working with this thing, with this kind of stuff, I kind of, I'm like a, like a, a scary Bob Ross with sound, you know? <laughs> I just have a lot of fun. Like, okay, so let's start with a disturbing playground kind of sound effect, you know? Or I start to just be inspired by the mood and the visuals. And sometimes it, I just paint in broad strokes. And um, and then uh, you know sometimes I get inspired to come up with a with a little sound effect or a little melody or instrument that is is inspired by the area itself, and uh, it kind of again reminds me of when I'm making haunted houses. You know, it's like when I'm making a haunted house and let's say I'm designing this one area, it's like, okay, what mood do I want to create? What's the sound? Do I want something that's really low, you know, or do I want something that's just uh, airy or do I, you know, I would actually ask Francis in every area to give me a list of adjectives and nouns to describe what he wanted, you know? Sure. So he would, you know, come up with things like, you know, dilapidated house, you know, broken windows, cr you know, creaking floors, uh, uh, moldy fabric, um, <laughs> blood-stained walls, you know, and literally just these adjectives and nouns 
really is, I find it very inspiring. It just, I'm using music to create emotion. And for me, it's just a very natural thing. Um, and, you know, working on a horror game, it's great because it allows me to blur the lines between what sound design and music can do. You know, yeah. you can use them both together and, and um, in, in creative ways. And just like everything else, I don't care whether it's, you know, the Prince of Persia or, or you know, anything else on the polar opposite end of scores that I've done. I just want the the listener and the player to be able to close their eyes and instantly know something about where they are. Yeah. And that's instantly what, know if they yeah. need to run for their lives or not. <laughs> or hide in a locker or something. Or hide. Yes. Yeah. yes. Now, you did just talk about building haunted houses in the present tense. So is this something you still do? Well, you know what? This is something that I was doing uh, pre-COVID. And oh, okay. uh, I'm hoping that next year uh, I can convince my friend who has who has gone in it with me because now we do it at his place. Because um, <laughs> my wife's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know, so, right? so, yeah. So I'm hoping... To have another, uh, hoping to have another one. But I mean, that's something that's been part of my whole life. Wow. So annually, just every yeah. year, that's what you do. You, oh, probably, yeah. you probably think about it year round. Absolutely. I mean, I would start Amazing. in the summer. I never knew this about you. This it, fascinates yeah. me because what I think about is how easily you could have then taken a different career path, right? I mean, if you're if yeah. you're that into building haunted houses, yeah. like you could have made a career out of that in some way, shape, or form. I, I mean, I would love to be a Disney Imagineer and work in the haunted mansion. <laughs> I mean, that, that's really? like a, yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff. I love that. I just I love creating emotion. I love creating immersive experiences, and for me, that comes through my music. Well, yeah, and you've got the, you know, even with your haunted houses, you have the added talent and skill of being able to create the, the audio piece of it. That's right. that's fantastic. Because it really yeah. makes a huge difference. Well, I mean, yeah. it really does, yeah, right? Having, having, I mean, literally, you can stand in a white room and have music on, and all of a sudden you become scared or happy yeah. or you, you, it creates an emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's beautiful. Incredible. Uh, there's another track kind of along the carnival vein that, that we moved on before I got a chance to mention, um, called by, it's called, uh, Killjoys Aren't Allowed Here. That's the one with like the janky organ waltz. That's where you like, it, initially, I don't think it has anything to do with the theme, but then it morphs into the theme or something like that. It's very cool. So, uh, talk to me about, about that. And of course, again, everything is like kind of warbling in and out of tune at times and yeah. <laughs> So the Killjoys yeah. aren't allowed here is is a collection of diegetic music that was created to come from the midway type games in the fun park. So this is like Beautiful. where you would be throwing, as I mentioned, let's say body organs, you know, at <laughs> these targets, uh, and you'd have to do this to get tickets to get inside of the root canal. So. Uh, 
and, and and an Easter egg. I always love you know using the theme. So one of those, I think the second one in there, it's a series. I just bunched them together. Uh, okay. The second one is basically a midway style carnival game version of the main theme. So, so good. So effective. And it's also uh, on the uh, coming from the carousel in the game, which actually I forgot to put on the soundtrack. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, you forgot. I'm like, oh, darn it. You know? I, when did you realize you forgot? After it was already pressed too late. I'm like, guys, you're going to kill me. Is it too late? They're like, yeah, it's kind of yeah. too late. But you know what? Maybe, maybe for the next thing that we might announce. Right? So, right, and it could be an Easter egg too, right? Right, you, you, yeah. You and your Easter eggs, there you, you go. I love them Easter eggs, Emily. Yes. <laughs> so the soundtrack um, from uh, Laced Records, um, what do you think about the whole soundtrack process, like putting it together? Because like you've mentioned a couple different times, you're you're bunching themes together from different areas, and that's a whole different set of hours of work, right? So what what's that process like for oh, you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the, the first decision I think that always happens when you're talking about a soundtrack for a game like this is you got to decide, okay, what's the strategy? Are we doing this chronologically? Mm-hmm. Are we doing this just purely based on listening? You know, and, and more often than not, I find that it's, it's usually chronologically kind of makes the sense. And I kind of like yeah. that because for those few people that actually listen in order <laughs> right. to a soundtrack, it does kind of take you through the experience. It does take you through the story. And that's the way it was when I was growing up listening to John Williams' soundtrack, you know? Uh, and so yeah. that was the initial decision. And we did go chronologically. So when you listen to it, you know, it starts right at the beginning. Um, yeah. And then after that, um, working with Laced and having them just make sure that, um, you know, they, they've done so many great soundtracks and stuff. And I did want to kind of check with them with best practices and, and okay. you know, make sure it's, it's like, you think this will be received well? Should I combine this with something else and whatever? So we kind of decided that certain tracks that were too short, you know, to be uh, under a certain time, I forgot what it was, like 30 seconds or 45 seconds. Yeah. I would kind of just combine it and find ways to combine it with other things. So I went basically, I mean, you're hearing the stuff in the game. And I, I went yeah. through all of the original deliverables and I created a, a huge session uh, in, in my DAW uh, to assemble them and put them in order and certain things I would layer together because that's the way they would be experienced in the game. Right. Uh, you know, some things were divided into different layers, so I would layer them on the soundtrack. And I just wanted to kind of create a listening experience that you could, um, you know, go through and experience like you were in the game. Uh, also, given my love of haunted houses, uh, I wanted to create an album that people could use in their haunted houses. I know plenty <laughs> of people uh, who are like, you know, that house in the neighborhood where, you know, the news crews come by and look and like, look at this oh, craziness. Yeah. You know, my friend Bob makes a, he does 
insane automation on his lawn. He's got computer systems running smoke machines, lasers, projectors, synchronized lighting in front and behind his house. Wow. And, you know, he would sync it up to music. And so I was so thrilled that this year he actually started incorporating the Outlast trials into, <laughs> uh, into the experience. And man, it works. I was so happy. Yeah. I'm just like a little kid again. I'm like, yay, my music's in another haunted house. <laughs> and it's terrifying. And it's terrifying. <laughs> Come and check it out. Uh, of course, the end song is worth a mention. We're all getting better together, as they called it. Yes, the, we're all getting better together. Yes. You know, that, it's, it's, it's that whole kind of brainwashing, you know, thing and, and uh, that track actually, I believe, is the music that's played in the lobby. It's diegetic music uh, that is played to kind of calm, you know, the inmates uh, down oh, as you're walking wow. through. So you hear this music and I wanted to do something really old fashioned. In fact, it kind of reminds me of growing up uh, my parents were of the era, um, you know, where you're listening to classic music and, you know, Glenn Miller type stuff and, and what have mm -hmm. you. So in black and white movies. And so, you know, I kind of wanted to kind of create this classic. You know, almost yeah. like a romantic little string piece. And uh, yeah. And again, it just is juxtaposed. Uh, against this hellish nightmare. What are you working on that you can talk about and tell us about anything? Absolutely nothing. No, uh, no, I, I can talk, I guess. Um, I'm sure Red Barrels wouldn't mind me saying that yeah, there is still more to come. I, I, I won't speak to what that means, uh, yeah. but uh, I'm not finished. I'm not okay. done yet. Um, <laughs> so there, there is some more in, in that universe. Um, and I'm working on, you know, all kinds of all kinds of different endeavors, both musical things and I, you know, my education things and my master class. Yes. I even have software for logic users that automatically run stems because I've wasted half of my life sitting in a chair waiting for bounces to happen. So I've done. I've been doing all kinds of things uh, across the board. Tell me more about the logic uh, situation because you're kind of like a logic super user, aren't yeah. you? Haven't you yeah. been uh, oh, yeah. on well, board if, with that? If you want to yeah. geek out, Emily, I'll, I'll go there. Um, I've yeah. been using my DAW Logic Pro since it was called Notator in 1989 on an Atari wow. ST computer in monochrome. Okay? <laughs> Good Lord. So, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, needless to say, I know it better than I know myself, I think. And um, so... <laughs> It's always been my favorite DAW. I've tried other ones, and it's not yeah. that, you know, you can't say, well, this is better than that one. It's The best DAW is the one that you're most comfortable using. So of I'm course. just most comfortable with that. But there's one big, oh, you know, gaping hole in their feature set that's 
driven me crazy, which was this idea that when you need to export your stems and multi-tracks um, in Logic, you'd have to do one at a time. You'd have to hit bounce and wait there, yep. name the files, wait there until it's done. And, you know, when you're doing stuff for games, like I remember in Deathloop, I had five different menu tracks in one session and each one I had to export at least 20 stems and alternate mixes. That would take me two and a half hours yeah. to sit there mindlessly Just for that. missing yeah. my life, missing yeah. social life events. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And so, and I'm not the only one. Compose. This is this is what composers yeah. do. So you know the other DAWs that that have some of this functionality built in Logic does not. So um, I teamed up with an ingenious um, software engineer, uh, and I partnered with him. His name is David. And um, over the course of two years, we created a, a software that is literally a dream come true for Logic users, and it allows wow. you to automatically bounce these stems and multi tracks and mixes. And it's called unoriginally. Auto bounce, and uh, yeah. So I've had we have people in over thirty eight countries around the world using it, and and it's like thank you for giving me my life back, and that's it. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I use Logic, so ah. Sam be, and I use it because Sam does, and Sam's the one who mixes the show, right? So ah. I do all my editing in Logic. I used to do it in GarageBand mm. because then you can import GarageBand into Logic, right? Yes. Yes. Um, but thankfully, <clears throat> thankfully, I don't do that anymore. That was a nightmare. But um, yeah. Uh, I was interviewing Steve Pardo, another composer, a few months ago, and he was talking about how he saved his key commands and uploaded it to the cloud. So if he ever uses somebody else's logic, he can just right. import his key. And I was like, that's so brilliant. And so as soon as we finished, I did that. I'm like, okay, now my key commands are saved in the cloud that's smart. so that I can use anyone's logic. It's brilliant because, like you're saying, yeah. you use the DAW that you're comfortable with, but even then within the DAW, I'm sure most people who use a DAW daily uh, have futzed with the key commands, right? Like I've reprogrammed all kinds of commands in there to mm -hmm. work for how I edit since mm -hmm. I don't write music in it. Um, so it's like it, invaluable to have those at the ready. <laughs> yeah, anything that can save you time so yeah, you can exactly. just work efficiently and quickly and, you know, and... and and also the, the idea of just having to sit there and do monotonous, repetitive things that a computer should do for you. Uh, that's yes. what Auto Bounce is all about. It's really a quality of life product. That's why I created it. I created it for myself. Absolutely. You know, and uh, yep. now I, it's, it's amazing. I, and with that whole Outlast Trial soundtrack, I did the whole mastering in it. And when it was oh. done, I had, I had 35 tracks all on different folder stacks. And I was able to say, see all of this stuff? export each one it would automatically crop the start and end point it would automatically put all the correct names naming that would actually incrementally number each one so it's just like yay wow it's like having yeah. a virtual assistant to do all this stuff for you exactly it's amazing exactly so, yeah. that's fascinating i remember years and years ago now when bouncing would happen in real time and you would have to just sit through if it was an hour file you'd sit there for an hour or you'd go do something else for an hour more likely but um yeah but yeah that and was a big step forward too when we could suddenly do offline bouncing and have yeah. have more time and back this, but then to be able to do multiple at a time even better yeah, yeah and this can do like for example if you do have outboard gear that you really must use and you have to do it in real time and that takes even more time mm. and that's what's great about this is that sure you can do it in real time as well it's just a remote mm -hmm. control for logic yeah. so you could Very save cool. hours and hours and hours and hours just on one project 
you know? That's awesome. Anyway, oh, yeah. So. No, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. And I know you're really into like the efficiency flow. And I think most people in a position like yours are who are, you know, dealing with this kind of thing on a, on a daily basis. But you and I have also talked about the controllers that um, you program the key commands into the controller, the little pad that has the buttons on. I can't remember what it's called right now. I've mm -hmm. got it written down. Stream but, Deck um, or many other things. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, those two. Yeah, you're the guy, man, for all the <laughs> little like... Efficiency. <laughs> Efficiency, yes. you know, it, I, I like to focus on creating and, and, and let the, the, the tools kind of get out of the way and fall into the background. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, what more do you want to say about Outlast Trials? I'm, I'm glad you're working on more, um, but, but yeah, what more do you want to say about it today? I think we covered a lot of things. I mean, I, I think at this cool. point, I just love people who are brave enough to uh, <laughs> check it out. Um, and 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 listen to it and see what what it does for you and don't forget about it next Halloween if you do have you do want to play scary music right and pick up know. the vinyl too I mean that's oh, a yeah. great way to get great way make sure you grab the vinyl it looks and so cool and like the does. album art with the and and the album itself is like red with these just. No oh, good lord. Designs on it. It's just hard. It's just so scary. Even the vinyl is too scary to look at. <laughs> it's great. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Cannot wait. Awesome. Well, always such a pleasure to talk with you, Tom Salta, and loved experiencing that soundtrack, even though it was scary. It was a great, great time. So thanks so much, as always. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me, Emily. Thank you for listening to this episode of Level with Emily. You can learn more about Tom Salta and see a playlist at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with Tom Salta on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. And please subscribe, get notifications, like all those things. Do that for us if you would. That'd be amazing. And then you won't miss any new interviews. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Boo! You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.